Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. We are back again with a Real Life Stories edition of the Grace Point Daily Podcast, Missions Edition. Uh, I... all these interviews are not getting old. They're just increasing in their greatness and making me more and more and more excited for missions, grabbing the missions heart of God. I hope that is what you are getting out of these interviews, podcasts that we've had with these amazing missionaries. So, hey, like, share, and subscribe to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We appreciate all of you that listen. And I want to do this. I don't do all this uh, every episode or every show, but I'm going to do this for the sake of what uh, the missionary we're talking with today, Brian Webb, what we're talking about before. But hey, these are people that have listened to the Grace Point Daily Podcast United States, Sweden, Russia, United Kingdom, India, Belgium, France, Germany, Canada, South Africa, shout out to South Africa, Netherlands, Ireland, Japan, Norway, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Peru, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Taiwan, Slovakia, Estonia. All of you have dialed at least in some point, one time or more to the Grace One Daily Podcast. I really appreciate that. So it's not just Southwest Missourians where I'm located right now that listen to the Grace One Daily Podcast. It's you around the world, and I do appreciate that. And so what I want you to do with these podcasts of these missionaries, I hope that you share it with someone, you post it on your social, you send a DM out to someone or something like that. So, hey, let's get into it today. We have missionary Brian Brian Webb, missionary to Vanuatu, uh, and I think it's Eurasia, but we'll we'll figure that out in just a second. Hey, Brian Webb, welcome to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Well, thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Glad to be with you. I should have clarified that. I think you, you've expanded your territory, if you will. I know you were a missionary to Vanuatu. I still think you have a strong presence there, but I think you're now leading multiple missionaries, right, in the Eurasian yeah, so, district. Well, actually, so uh, Vanuatu is an island nation in the Pacific. Okay. And so we served 20-plus uh, years as, as missionaries in the Pacific, and specifically in Vanuatu. Now we serve as the area directors for the Pacific. So those 23 countries uh, from Australia uh, over almost to South America and from New Zealand up up against the Philippines all the way over to Hawaii. So not Eurasia, uh, actually part of Asia Pacific. As far I'm as sorry. South, uh, AG organizes the world. That's quite a right. Yep. And, and uh, it is the Pacific Islands. There we go. Okay. Thank you for rebuking me, correcting me and getting me in the right mindset here. Uh, because we have a, we have a missionary coming to our church, Nathan Turney, this Sunday to New Zealand. So he'd be in connection with you, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a Nathan and Lisa are great missionaries and we are excited. They've joined the team there uh, in the Pacific and excited about what's going to happen in New Zealand. You know, they are the first U S missionaries ever appointed to New Zealand. Wow. And I have a strong love and affinity for hobbits. So I just believe oh, maybe yes. God will take me there to New Zealand. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> if you go, you can go to Hobbiton. Right? <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yes. And you can go have a meal at the Green Dragon. So, you know, if people are not uh, Tolkien fans here, they're lost as to what we're talking about. <laughs> right. it's, a, it's a great experience. Yeah. Lord of the Rings filmed in New Zealand. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love her. I love referencing Lord of the Rings when I'm preaching and watch it just fly over some of those people people's heads sometimes. So sure. Yeah. Hobbits are technically not real people. That's just a movie. Well, you know, (laughs) when I, when I, uh, when I became area director of Pacific Oceania, I asked him, I said, can we, can we change this to, uh, middle earth? Yeah. (laughs) 
I got shot down though. <laughs> I would, I would definitely sign up for missions with AGWM, uh, to middle earth. If that was a thing, yeah. I would yeah. do that for sure. So, all right, Brian Webb, enough of that stuff. We're going to dive into your story, talk about missions today. And we really appreciate you hopping on the Grace Point Daily podcast. Let's talk a little bit about your spiritual journey here for a minute. I know you're a missionary today, but let's talk about growing up, your spiritual journey, growing up in a, a Christian home, or what was your upbringing like? I, I did grow up in a Christian home. Um, you know, mom and dad were not uh, in ministry. I came from a, a long line of like pastors and evangelists and church planters, but my parents were not. Uh, my mom and dad worked for the post office but very faithful to church, very engaged in their church. And so um, that was my life. We went to church, I would say, on average five times a week. You know, okay. So very old school, gospel <laughs> uh, kind of thing. Got saved when I was about five years old. I didn't understand a lot of theology, just knew I was a sinner. Dad said Jesus would take my dirty heart away, mm-hmm. give me a clean one. That's all I needed to know. Uh, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit when I was very young. I think I was six uh, on Christmas morning. Well, so that's a good Christmas you know, present. Oh, uh, it was one. It is a gift, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and you know, I remember showing up at my granny's house. My granny was a was an evangelist, church planter, and and I'm I'm like, Granny, you'll never believe what I got for Christmas. And she's trying to guess all these toys, you know. But uh, I had a very different gift in mind. Yeah. Well, let me ask this, and maybe it's a, a personal question. Did your parents, did they miss the boat? You said you, you had pastors and evangelists in your family. Did they just not feel called to ministry or did they reject it? Or what was their, what, why, why was that? You know, that is a, that's a great question. I mean, on one hand, I would say, no, they just weren't called. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when I was in Bible school, my dad called me. So I'm the baby. I'm the last kid in the family. Okay. And I'm I'm in Bible school. Dad calls me and said, "Son, I think God's speaking to me to be a pastor." And uh, and he moved into a pastoral role in what most people would consider the retirement years. Okay. And he and mom had I don't know twenty plus years, uh, either serving on staff or serving as pastors uh, of various churches. And um, it, it was really incredible to see their ministry develop. Wow. In those later years, but. Dad, I, I think, really didn't have any desire. Maybe it was he had no desire to raise his kids in a pastor's home. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just find it interesting. One of the points that we've brought up talking to missionaries so far, and this is before just these podcasts, is that the calling of God is very interesting in that sometimes as long as you are always staying open to what God has for you, it's amazing how he can start things at different phases and seasons of your life. I always refer to my greatest hero in missions, Papa Ron DeVore. He's not with the Sims God, but another great missions organization. And he became a full-time missionary at uh, in his 60s at retirement yeah. age. And he went on yeah. to have a huge ministry, started churches and jail ministry and orphanages. And so I always just tell people just uh, the, the main thing is to just follow Jesus and chase obedience. Right. And right. then you just never know what's going to happen. You might wake up tomorrow and I might wake up tomorrow and be like, man, I, whatever it was about that conversation I have with Brian Webb, it just grabbed a hold of me now. I can't get rid of it. I think I need to call him up and tell him I need to be a missionary now. Well, that, that would be our prayer. But yeah. <laughs> life is, life is certainly seasonal, right? God, God, just because God's got you doing one thing right now does not mean that's what you'll do the rest of your life. And, 
we've had great missionaries join us. Uh, Gary and Priscilla Ross. Gary retired from IBM in an, in an executive role. Hmm. And, and they called me and said, hey, we want to be missionaries in one of the toughest places in Vanuatu. And I thought, man, there's no way. This is way out past <laughs> the road. You've got an off-road to get there. And they said, we're tough old birds. And <laughs> they did amazing, just phenomenal. So, you know, whatever season of life we're in, it's not – God can use us in that season. Yeah. I, I am a first generation Christian, so I don't know what it's like to grow up in a Christian family. I don't know what it's like to, my dad's a pastor or my grandpa was a pastor. You know, I, I don't, and I, I, I wish I knew what that was like, but I guess now my wife grew up in that scenario, but for my kids, you know, they both want to be missionaries, praise God. And I give God praise for that. And they, they've known that from six years of age at a very young age. And, and, but I've never wanted to like push that on them. I'm like, you don't, you know, yeah. you don't need to be an Sims God missionary. If God's not calling you to be that, to do that, but they've right. still grabbed hold of that. Did you have that type of pressure as a young person where you're, was it always like, Oh, there's little Brian. He, you're going to be a missionary, Brian, you're going to be a pastor or <laughs> What was it like for you growing up as a young person? Well, I think I, I, I displayed an interest in ministry very early. Like, I, I, I wanted to be in ministry. Okay. Um, I didn't have a clear call until I was about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like when I would visit, my granny and grandpa were planting a church over in Dallas. And whenever we would drive over, they always give me the microphone and have me testify. I mean, I'm talking about five <laughs> Old, you know, so there was yeah. a there was a push to have you kind of in front and maybe engaged in ministry. Um, when when I received my call, it was very definite. It was a Holy Spirit thing. Uh, I had no question. It was it was centered in my soul, and from that point forward, I was eagerly looking for opportunities to do ministry, mm-hmm. and so. My family was not pushing me. They were very encouraging. Okay. You know, they, they were very affirming. Yeah, yeah, God can use you. You're 11 years old, but God can use you. And my senior pastor was too. So he, at, at 11, this seems surreal to me, but at 11, my senior pastor <laughs> began to create opportunities for me to engage in ministry. Now, obviously, they were age appropriate. Yeah. But, um, but he gave me windows. He gave me opportunities. And by the time I was 15, uh, I had credentials with the Assembly of the God. I was preaching uh, multiple times every week and very engaged in the ministry of my my local church. Wow. And let me just say, and I think you'd agree with this, Brian Webb, is that that's not bad. You know, I think we, we missed that a little bit. You know, you talked about your, your grandparents letting you talk on the stage with a microphone. And I, I don't think we do a lot of that in, uh, nowadays, you know, where we don't no. let kids get up there and we should let them, we should encourage them. We should from a young age be like, yeah, grab the mic. Yeah. We should be speaking to them. Maybe God, God from the earliest age, what's God calling you to be? Oh, you want to yeah. be a missionary? That's awesome. You know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, one of the things, pastors, is we've shifted. We, we, like I told you, we went to church on average five times a week. That was just our norm. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're having five services a week as a senior pastor, you can create <laughs> opportunities for young people to be engaged. Yeah. But if you're only having one hour of service a week, which a lot of our churches, that's where they're at now. Right. And I'm not being critical, yes. but if that's all you've got, 
you cannot let a 14 year old on the stage. Yeah. You can't risk it. You, you've got to have your best. <laughs> you got to have your 18 yeah. up for that one hour. Yeah. So, so true. And I hope we're challenged with that. I, I, you know, I have tried to, with my kids, you know, let them do ministry from the youngest of age. And, and I, so I'm challenged with that as a pastor right now. I don't pastor uh, a large or slash mega church, but not a super tiny church either, but, you know, trying to like, how can we, you know, these kids get them engaged in the practical aspects of the church from the outset so that it becomes natural and the normal for them. Right. You know, my pastor found, he found ways, you know, so, so I would speak, one of the first places I spoke on a regular basis was at the, at the nursing home. So our church had a nursing home service. Well, my goodness sakes, I didn't have to say anything that mattered, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, those, those little folks loved the fact that, that a 14 year old was in their, in their home and spending time with them. Yes. And so he created an opportunity and, and so we just have to be creative. Where can we find venues where our kids can be engaged in ministry? Hmm. The clear call that you had that you referred to, was that at an altar? Was it a kid's camp? or Describe yeah, that moment was, to, to me. It was at an altar. Uh, we, we were old-fashioned Pentecostal, so it was a Sunday night service. And uh, it was one of those services where the preacher was never going to get to preach, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody just kind of flooded to the altar during the worship service. And there was a real move of the Spirit of God. And without going into great detail, uh, that night I was slain in the Spirit. And while I was laying there slain, I don't know how long, well over an hour, mm-hmm. uh, I received a vision. And actually uh, like a series of visions where God called me, showed me some glimpses of what would be in my future, and, um, and, and really defined that for me. Again, I'm 11. My yeah. <laughs> expectation is if I tell anybody about this, nobody will believe me. You know, okay. It's a little kid with a good imagination. But <laughs> I show up at church on Wednesday night. My senior pastor says God did something special in somebody's life Sunday night, and you need to testify about it to solidify it. Mm-hmm. And so I stood up, and I shared my testimony probably more than half an hour. So again— a pastor making space for children. That's, the, you know, there's no other way to describe it. Yes. When I finished that half hour of relating what God had showed me, there was a message in tongues, and in the interpretation was, why would you think it's strange for me to talk to children? Mm. I have, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and he will do what I've called him to do. And then, you know, between that period, and me becoming an adult, probably a hundred times or more, an evangelist, a missionary, a pastor, visiting pastor that would not know me, would would have a prophecy or would have a, a word for me and say, hey, I feel like God's called you to the nations. It just happened over and over wow. and over. And it confirmed, it confirmed God's call. Yeah. Did it, when you started preaching at, you know, you're preaching at 15 years old, did that seem really weird as a 15 year old? I mean, it, back then, or even now we don't hear that happen very often. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're more special than other people or more called, but did you feel awkward? Did that feel like uh, <laughs> unnatural? Like your other kids are like, you know, other friends are doing this and you're wanting to preach. 
I, I, it did not. I, I will be honest with you. I love to preach. I have from the time they first let me. Mm-hmm. Um, now I will tell you those early sermons. I go back. There's some. There's some tapes, and I've got friends who kept <laughs> cassette tapes of uh-huh. like youth revivals and youth camps that I preached. And I'm like, oh, can we please destroy them? They're, they're <laughs> awful. You know, I said yeah. things I wish I could take back. But uh, no, I loved. I guess I'd say it like this. The first time I tasted the anointing of God, I wanted to experience that in my life from now on. And I never wanted to stop experiencing that. Yeah. And that's what we should be. You know, I I guess I put it like this for, for my kids. Now, my kids being second generation Christians is the one thing I keep praying is like, I have to just expose, keep exposing them to God's presence because yeah. they got to have something real. They have to have an encounter. They can't just have their dad's form of religion because right. their form of re- my form of religion is no better than uh, if it's just a form of religion, it's no better than Catholicism. It's no better than uh, any of these other things. In my opinion, I, they right. need to have true encounter with the Lord. And so we have to come on as a church. We have to be exposing our kids. Listen, our kids are getting exposed to so many other things. Why not right. the power and the presence of God? Right. And, and it's a matter of competition. You know, there's there's voices speaking into our kids' lives via entertainment, via the school system that they're in. Um, not all these voices align with, with God's truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going back and beating on a, a, a dead horse here, but <laughs> we've limited the amount of time. That we're yeah. exposing our kids to the presence of God, and and so we're losing the we're losing the conversation, just because the other voices get reinforced more often than God's word is getting reinforced to our kids. Yeah, and maybe this is just a little bit selfish on my part here, Brian Webb. But you know, what do you say to me as a pastor, like who's I'm I'm trying to grow I'm trying to grow the church and be cool and uh, you know yeah. stay relevant and yeah. you know I can't be you know, people are in a hurry. Preach at me for a second, Brian Webb, rebuke me, put me, put me where I need to be. No, listen, I wish I had the answers and I don't, and and I'm not a pastor in America. Right. So I've got my own lane I'm in. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just looking at, I, I, you know, as I preach in churches, I'm in, in the services, I'm looking at what those kids are getting to experience versus what I got to experience as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, our, I said, we went to church five times a week. We did. And, um, you know, one of those, one of those services was a Saturday night service. And that's where my pastor broke in new preachers. So I preached a lot of Saturday night services. Okay. Well, (laughs) at a church of 200, 250, there would be maybe 25 people in those Saturday night services. Mm -hmm. And they all were white headed saints of God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the truth is they were only there because they love God and to give an opportunity to kids like me. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, so, you know, I know what if the, the tendency might be to say, well, this doesn't even pay the bills, you know, for this service. You yeah. know, the offering, <laughs> I can't imagine what the offering was. It right. Been, right. Uh, so economically it wasn't a good idea. Probably didn't seem like a good use of the pastor's time. And yet out of that church, Listen, some of some really well-placed, prominent ministers in the Sons of God today came out of the same church I did. 
wow. and they're very successful in ministry. And they would say the same thing. It was those times where our pastor, we would we would share, we would preach, and those were some pretty pitiful sermons. But then pastor would pull us into his office, and he would say, "Now let's talk about that sermon." You know, let's talk about what you did right. Let's talk about what you should have done different. Mm-hmm. And it was such a discipleship time in our life. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, <laughs> I don't have the wow. answer. Yeah. I no. wish I did. That's... But um, we just got to give opportunity. Yep. Amen. I received that. Uh, talk to me as you, now you're a high schooler, you had a Bible college. I'm assuming that you thought Bible college was the nat- natural next step for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, there was a Bible school in Missouri, uh, Ozark Bible Institute. So it's there in Neosho, not far from you. And they would send a choir to our church once a year. And I'll be honest with you, man, the girls in that choir were the prettiest girls yeah. I'd ever had. <laughs> and so I was convinced that that was the Bible school for me. <laughs> Praise <Yeah>. God. <laughs> yeah. I, I have noticed in some of these uh, mission stories we've been having that these these beautiful women play a part in God's calling for whatever reason. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Did you so you went there and did yeah. the calling of God just continue to increase, increase, excuse me, increase and grow as you went there? It did. And, you know, um, the school has a no ministry policy. So you can only engage in ministry as part of a ministry outreach team from that school. Okay. And was, so was that frustrating or hard or? Oh, incredible, <laughs> incredible. So, you know, I've been preaching, I've been preaching three, four times a week for years now, and I don't get to preach at all. Uh, so I'm working at the Tyson's chicken plant. Okay. And I am on my face before God, before going to work one day, and I'm complaining to God about, I don't ever get to preach anymore. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. And he said, what about those people you work with? Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, at the Tyson Chicken Plant in the Osho, it was almost all Pacific Islanders working there. Wow. And so I went to church. I went to work that night, and I asked one of the guys, I said, hey, if we had church and we did it in your language, would you come? And he said, he, he stopped what he was doing. He started crying. He said, Brian, we've been praying. God would give us a church. Wow. And I said, wow. So I went to my pastor, my senior pastor, and I said, hey, I feel like God's is speaking to me to start a church for the islanders that live here in the Osho. My senior pastor started crying. He said, Brian, I've been praying for months. God would call somebody to plant a church for the islanders living here in the Osho. So it was just this perfect combination. And, and really— so when God called me, there was no geographical spot. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't called to Africa or South America. I was just called to a type of ministry, yeah. but I wasn't called to a place. And and really, that church that we started is why we're in the Pacific today. Wow, that's awesome. And th- that's a great point that you bring up. Sometimes God does speak to us, right, Brian? It's uh, Jeremiah, I am calling you to Lesotho, Africa. You know, it can be very specific. Sometimes right. it can be a little bit more general, but maybe for those of us or um, people that might be listening that have more of a general call that, that, well, how do I, how do I navigate that? How do I begin to flush that out? If it's, I, I feel like I have a call, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. What do you advise people or tell them in that scenario? 
You know, what, some of the best teaching I've ever heard on this comes from a, a missionary by the name of Mark Rimfro. And and he says this, um, the, the call of God is where passion meets opportunity. So God puts a passion in your heart. For me, that passion was, I want to plant the church among people groups where there's no church at all. So, so there's mm-hmm. a passion. Then, then opportunity comes along. So again, in my case, it was the opportunity to minister to Islanders. So then you begin to look for, okay, where does my passion intersect with the opportunity? Mm-hmm. You know, this, this kind of goes back to that old saying, to bloom where you're planted, right? What opportunity does God give you today? Yeah. Invest yourself completely in that opportunity, and, and there'll be a place where your passion and your opportunity will overlap. And that's really how you know where God's leading you. Mm. And, you know, of course, sometimes we, we have multiple, multiple intersections like that. When Renee yeah. and I were ready to go to the field as missionaries, um, there were two places in the Pacific that really matched my call to plant churches or my passion to plant churches where there there are no churches and then the opportunity to serve the Pacific. And that was the Solomon Islands and Vanuatu. So what we did is we committed those two places to prayer. And every time we would pray about the Solomon Islands, we felt a distinct lack of peace. Hmm. And then when we would pray about Vanuatu, we had just, just a calmness in our soul. And so I think when, when there's multiple opportunities that present themselves, then the question is, where does the peace of God lead you? Mm, it's good. Yeah, that's great. And now, and yeah, talk to me about um, the, the process to become a missionary. You know, that, did that happen right from the jump, right out the moment you get the diploma from Bible college, then the next day you got a plane ticket and you're just off or... I know it's more complicated than that, but now talk to me about how you began to step into being a missionary. Well, in in, in long, long ago, way back in the nineteen, you know, nineteen hundreds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to become a missionary with the Son of the God, you had to be a senior pastor of a church for a minimum of two years. Okay. And so we graduated from Bible school. Actually, went on staff at a church uh, for a couple of years, and then became uh, a senior pastor in Knoll, Missouri. So again, just, just south of you guys, maybe an hour south of, of Carthage. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were serving there, we put our application in to serve uh, as missionaries with the Sons of God. So it's, the application process was probably over a year. Uh, and and then we, when we received that appointment, obviously began fundraising. Um, the, the whole process has changed quite a bit. It's more common for people now to visit a country or a missionary and spend two weeks to three months okay. in that location. Mm-hmm. And then if they feel confident that that's what God wants them to do, they come back home, interact with their senior pastor, uh, church leadership mm-hmm. in, in uh, moving forward in an application to serve full time. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. So how long did it take for you to, to become a missionary? Was it the, the length of time from graduating Bible college, just stepping on the field for the first time? Did it seem like a forever? Well, it time seemed period? like forever, <laughs> but I think it was, I think it was about four years. Four so years it really wasn't that long. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it, it did feel like forever, you yeah. know, and, and, and it, sometimes I was wondering like, is this going to pass me by? Right. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like this is my call, but is it ever going to happen? When, when we got the approval from the Sims of God world missions, it was kind of a weird situation. We got declined. We applied. We were declined. And so then I just committed myself to pastoring my church. Mm-hmm. And I laid out, I one Sunday morning, I laid out a five-year vision because I'm a planner. Okay. And I laid out this five-year vision for my church that Sunday morning. Monday morning, Simmons God World Missions calls us and says, listen, we made a mistake in sending you that letter saying you're declined, <laughs> you're accepted. Uh-huh. And so it's like, okay, I just laid out this five-year vision. And, and now here, I'm going to leave my church, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we had a <laughs> month of just soul searching of, should we continue to pastor our church or should we be missionaries? I remember calling my dad and talking to him about it. And he's like, son, if you're following God with all your heart, you can be a senior pastor or you can be a missionary. Either one is okay. You've got the choice. Yeah. And uh, for us, the choice came down to, I knew if I resigned and became a missionary, 40 people would put an application in to pastor my church. Okay. <laughs> but I knew that 40 people were not going to put an application in to go serve in Vanuatu. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I just think you can't fail chasing what God has called you to do. Let me again step aside for my own personal life when I was pastoring Utah for six years. And I actually, I can walk you through this someday personally, but I had actually applied with AGWM to be a missionary. I didn't get to approval or disapproval. I just felt like that wasn't the exact direction. So then I started um, my own nonprofit called Made to Give Ministries and still do missions. And now I'm pastoring here. All you know, that's a long story, but all that to say the big moment when I decided to resign the, the church I was pastoring in Utah, because it was, it was very comfortable, you know, I mean, in terms of yeah. spiritually, I was, there's things happening that I was happy with, uh, financially it was a church that took very good care of me. I wasn't rich, but you know, like, uh, I love the mountains. I love mountain biking, you know, so these, but you know, at the end of the day, I just said to myself, if I don't chase this urge, um, I'm just going to be left wondering, did I, did I not chase what God had called me to do? And I was like, Hey, there's other, there's other churches to pastor in the world, in America. So the worst case scenario is I resigned this church and three months later, I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Well, I go apply to be another pastor at another church. Right. I mean, what, what do you think about that type of thinking that I had there, Brian Webb? (laughs) Oh boy. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly what to say to that. You know, I think you're right. We have to constantly pursue what, what is God wanting me to do with my life? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think regular times of reflection, you know, pulling aside, spending some time in prayer and fasting and, and saying, am I on the right track? You know, even if, so you're there at grace point, even if you don't leave grace point, you know, you and the board, need to spend time in prayer and fasting on a regular basis where you just step back and say, are we doing it the way God wants us to? Mm-hmm. Is is there something else we ought to be doing differently? Yeah. Yep. Amen. And I, I just brought that up because like, uh, it just made me think of what you said as far as, 
you know, can other people pastor this church that I'm at in Missouri, where you were at? Yes. Will will other people apply? Yes. You know, but will other people step out to do this other thing that I feel God's put? And that, that's what I'm getting at that I think is so important. And I kind of had that same feeling was just like, Hey, there, there's a thousand other guys that could pastor this church. I'm pastoring right now. Yeah. And our, our thought was, Hey God, we'll take the hard stuff. Okay. So we'll let somebody else have the, the easy road we'll take the hard stuff and we'll follow you in that faith walk that requires just stepping out and not knowing what's going to come next. Yep. Amen. <laughs> what was it like when you first got on the mission field? This described to me the early days when you take the flight over and when it becomes more than uh, temporary, it becomes a permanent calling you're stepping into. What was that like? Well, you know, a lot of ways it felt like, um, it felt like a huge fulfillment in the sense that I, I've done it. So from the time I was 11 years old, I'm telling people I'm going to be a missionary. (laughs) Right. And so to, to get there, it's like, I've, I've actually done it, but it was not. So when we arrived, it's not like this hyper spiritual moment. You think it will be, Right. (laughs) you think I'm going to be just like stepping off the plane, moving in the spirit of God. Somebody's going to get saved before I leave the airport. Maybe, maybe a lame man's going to be healed. You know, Jesus himself is going to be there to give you a big hug. (laughs) What what actually (laughs) happens is you, you spend 12 to 24 months going from church to church, appointment to appointment, desperately trying to raise your funds you finally get them all together. You're exhausted from raising all your money. <laughs> you you pack up your home. You leave your family. Everything, you know, I remember watching my kids sell their toys in a garage sale. <laughs> and my little girl cry when people would carry her <laughs> toys away. And oh, we're wow. reducing everything to a set of suitcases, right? It's got yes. to all fit in the suitcase or we can't take it. And... Um, <laughs> Man, it's just a gut-wrenching experience. And so really, when you land on the field, you're in a state of grief. Hmm. There's this fulfillment. I did it. There's, there's the excitement. I'm going to start a new stage of my life, and yet you're in a state of grief. And um, I, unfortunately, I didn't have a, an experienced missionary to stand beside me in that day and say, hey, let you and your children process this season of grief before you jump into something new. I I didn't have that. I can do that for the people who come and work with me now, but I didn't have that. Uh, I, two weeks after I arrived, I was teaching Mm full-time at a Bible school. Uh, Within a few months, I was a senior pastor of a church. I was the principal of the Bible school. I was the treasurer of the general council and some of God in Tonga. I mean, we just, we went full on, uh, almost as soon as we arrived. Wow. That's awesome. You've been on the mission field. How long? 24 years, 24 years. What's your big takeaways? What's your big lessons learned at this point that you would say, Jeremiah, if I could have one conversation with you and tell you a few things, here's what I tell you. Well, being is more important than doing. Okay. So who we are, in our relationship with Christ is far more important than anything that we're going to do. And the, the, the doing actually has to flow out of that very deep reservoir of who we are in Christ. 
um, very easy. I'm a task oriented person. Very easy for me to get so focused on setting goals and working to achieve those goals that the relational side and the being is not what it ought to be. You know, missions has this <clears throat> within the Sims God has this great system where you spend four years on the field, then you close up shop and you go home for a year and mm-hmm. you visit all the supporters. Well, that's a great time of reflection. Mm-hmm. I, I've written a couple of books, and one of the stories in one of my books is in conclusion. And it's just what is all the stuff you did in those four years look like? when you pack up and go home, you know? Um, and, and that's where that whole, that's where that whole being matters more than doing. I don't want lazy missionaries. I want missionaries to work hard and put, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, hard work into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But if we sacrifice our character, if we sacrifice relationship with God, if we sacrifice relationship with others along the way, if we hurt people in the process of doing God's work, ultimately that's a failure. Yeah. Wow. What's your greatest moment? What's the one moment that you find yourself thinking back on moment or moments, but maybe just at the most, you know, do you have one epic moment? Is it two or three? What's the greatest moment that you've had on the mission? I mean, there would be, there would be, there would be so many, it'd be impossible to nail it down to one. Uh, let me give you a quick, quick story. So we, we've been working on planting churches among this tribe on Pentecost and uh, incredibly resistant. So uh, when we were sending pastors up in there and I was going to do evangelism, at one point I went and they told me, they said, missionary, if you send any more pastors to visit us, you're going to come collect their bodies. We don't want them. Right. So <laughs> very resistant. Okay. Um, almost, almost seven years before, from when we first engaged till we planted the first church, had that opening service. It was a phenomenal day, amazing. We were so excited. The rest of the tribe then came together, burned down the church, burned down the village, destroyed the gardens of the villagers, and said, "If you're going to be Christian, you cannot be part of our tribe," and ran them out. Very, very hard day. Um, matter of fact, there was a young man that lost his life that day. Wow. I then go up and I meet with the 23 chiefs of this tribe. And I said to them, look, guys, um, God loves you. We love you. We are not going to go away. So how do I have permission to be in your tribe and, and have a relationship with you? I, you know, and they said, well, missionary, you need to understand we do not want your church. We don't want it. We don't want your religion. We don't want your church. And I said, okay, what if we started uh, schools? Because none of your kids know how to read or write. What if we started schools and taught them how to read and write? And they said, no. Uh, they said, we've, we've observed tribes around us. When their kids start learning how to read and write, they become Christian. And we don't want that. So I said, well, what about a a medical clinic? Could I build a medical clinic? And they said, yeah, you know, as long as you'll keep the the church and the school away, then we'd be (laughs) great with a medical clinic. And I said, well, you know, I'll build you a medical clinic, but you've got to know down the road there's going to be a church. You know, it's going to happen. And um, 
And so they're like, well, you know, we'll we'll. So we do this ceremony. They they get all these chiefs together. They kill a cow. They cut it up in pieces. We all walk through the middle of the pieces. We all take a piece of the cow. We're, mm. we're doing this symbolic. It's it's a very Old Testament covenant kind of thing. Okay. And what they were doing was giving me a piece of land for me to build a clinic on. And so when we're done with the ceremony, the Paramount chief says to me, okay, we could go and show you the corners of the land, missionary, so you'll know the land you have. I said, okay. Me and this Paramount chief go up. We're walking the corners of this land. And there's all these little boys running along with us. And they're just jabbering away in the tribal language. And and in the pasture, there's a pastor with me who speaks the tribal language. He said, Mr. do you want to know what they're saying? And I said, yeah. He said, they're saying, this is where the missionary is going to build us our school. Now, I've just come from this meeting of chiefs saying no schools, right? Mm-hmm. But these little five and six-year-old boys are saying, this is where our school's going to be. Fast forward to November of, of 2019. We have the clinic building built. Um, I show up there with a team of doctors and nurses. We're going to hold the first medical clinic in that building. And I'm standing in the front yard of that clinic just looking at it. A Chief Wabak comes, and he, and he takes my hand. And, and he looks at me, said, missionary, do you remember the day you met with us 23 chiefs? And I said, yes. He said, well, I want you to know every chief who opposed you has died. Mm-hmm. The last one died two weeks ago. And he said, missionary, you can do anything you want to do. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. You have to start schools for our children. And the first school has to be right here. Now, I am literally standing where those five-year-old boys said, this is where the missionary is going to build us. Mm-hmm. It was just an incredible God moment. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there has been, since then, five communities in that tribe that have said, look, we want you to start Christian schools in our communities. Hmm. Wow. Praise God. Great stories, and I'm sure there's many others that you could tell of what God has done in your life. But man, I love hearing your stories, your thoughts. I know there's so many truths we could pull out of this episode that we've had with you, Brian Webb. I really, really appreciate it. And again, for those of you that are listening, uh, man, share this with someone. Let these stories ring out. Encourage others to be challenged um, by the subject matter of, of missions and doing the mission of God. Brian Webb, thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. Enjoyed enjoyed being with you. All right. And for you guys, thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time.